My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends, I'm just trying to make some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and do some teaching. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. How about this? How about bye, 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 bye in May and go away? I mean, why not? After today's ugliness, Dow declining 186 points, S&P slipping 0.72%, and the NASDAQ losing 0.85%, you're getting a chance to buy the stocks of high-quality companies that got no credit for reporting amazing quarters during the gauntlet, the 72-hour fog of war earnings period that we just suffered through. Now, just this week, we've had muted or negative reaction to both Microsoft and Apple. I mean, these are great companies. By the way, I think AMD's been ridiculously punished after putting up outstanding numbers. Part of the market's newfound dislike, now let's say it for what it is, hatred for tech hardware. I mean, I think it's insane. These are all transcendent stories, and you can pick among the rubble for any of them at prices that are lower than we knew they were having great quarters for. Remember, I told you to wait until we made it through the gauntlet this week, then look around for the stocks that were unfairly being sold off. It's proving to be mighty prescient. You know how I feel about Fang? They all work, except for the N. If you're thinking it's time to sell in May and go away, I'll happily buy any of those names from you, especially Amazon and Alphabet, although Apple and Microsoft are the real bargains right now because their stocks failed to rally at all in the wake of spectacular numbers. Now, thank heavens there's no gauntlet next week, but we have some terrific opportunities nonetheless in all sorts of different areas, starting with Estee Lauder on Monday morning. This company, led by the bankable Fabrizio Freda, put up some incredible numbers last time. I suspect we're going to get another blowout. Monday night, we hear from Fang, the wrong Fang, Diamondback Energy, the only producer uh, operating the Permian Basin that many consider to be a genuine growth stock in the energy business. Now, we've had some real disappointments today from Chevron and Exxon, despite crude's recent jaunt to 65 bucks. So let's see what they do with the fastest grower in the oil patch. Oh, one more. Uh, the worst acting stocks in the S&P 500, Big Pharma. And that's why Merck's Monday analyst meeting will be so revealing. They reported some really ugly numbers earlier this week. Don't buy the stock. Just listen. Now, I would do just the opposite on Tuesday when Union Pacific holds its analyst meeting. I think we'll hear that the quarter they just reported, universally panned, by the way, was one off and business is back on track. I'd buy it ahead of the meeting. It's so disliked among the railroad analysts that maybe someone is converted to be a bull after the meeting. That's what you're hoping for. Earnings slate? Okay, it's very tight Tuesday. First, we find out what Pfizer's really made of. The stock's done nothing despite its success with COVID-19, mostly because it has a slew of patents that are about to expire. That said, I think Pfizer's a good stock, solid management, excellent safe dividend yield. You could do a lot worse. I know that's not much of a recommendation, but given that drug stocks have become the big disappointment this earnings season, you might want to wait to see what happens before you pull the trigger. At 35.36, that one's intriguing to me. Next up, we get 
results from CVS, which has now had several months as a vaccine hub, something that should spur traffic. I mean, Amazon doesn't have a vaccine hub other than for its own employees. And I think CVS might be able to turn traffic into earnings. Every time CVS tries to crash through the $77 barrier, it's thrown back. Will the stock finally break out? I think that new CEO Karen Lynch has a Good story to tell. Not great, but good. But if you read through the entire Amazon letter last night, as I did, you know that they're gunning for the drugstores. It's going to make it a tough slog. You never, ever want to compete against Amazon if you can avoid it. Now, we get results from Double D DuPont, too. Now, this is a stock we own for the Chapel Trust. I think the stars are aligned for a good quarter with excellent chemical numbers. And, by the way, they make a lot of materials that are used for houses and, more importantly, Cell phones. Yes, they make a lot of the material in a cell phone. Now, DuPont sold off its nutrition business and bought back a lot of stock. I bet it's ready to have a bang up quarter. I'm betting with Ed Breen, the CEO, who's been a fantastic value creator over the many years. And these numbers from DuPont, I think, will prove it. You know, I've become a devotee of AT&T because it's finally starting to grow again. And I now believe the dividend is safe. But if you want growth in the wireless industry, well, the one to buy is T-Mobile, which I expect to deliver still one more excellent quarter with a lot of signups. T-Mobile has been the best investment in the group if you want capital appreciation. That's not going to change. Wednesday morning. Oh, this is really interesting. OK, Wednesday morning, we're going to find out how badly the chip shortage is hitting General Motors. Fortunately, its stock has already been seasoned thanks to the pin action from Ford earlier this week when Ford announced a cataclysmically, frank, frankly, that they, the $2.5 billion in profit went up in semiconductorless smoke. I think GM's in better shape when it comes to chips, meaning the stock might be worth buying before the quarter. OK, I might take you know, depending on what, how the market looks. That might be one to go to this day because it is a great long-term situation, particularly with EV. Now, also Wednesday, I want to hear what happens with Scott's miracle Grow. Now, this is a really interesting, not just because I'm a gardener, right? This is a kind of like, it's one of those hobbies, like boating, that exploded during the pandemic period, and I think carries over to this season. Plus, Scott's can give us a sense of how strong the at-home cannabis market is. Lots of signals and pin action coming from that one. After the close Wednesday, we get results from two of the fastest-growing companies out there, and they're both faves, PayPal and Twilio. I suspect both companies will report amazing quarters as PayPal's on a mission to become the bank for the billions of unbanked people in the world, and Twilio is the best way for uh, small businesses to get the word out. Both companies are incredible, but their stocks have been erratic because secular growth stories are out of style in the Wall Street fashion show right now. If you like them, I recommend buying some before the quarter and some after to be sure you get the best basis. Now, we've got some balls of confusion Thursday morning in Viacom and Regeneron. We don't really know where Viacom stock deserves to trade, given that it was bid up to more than twice where it is now by a foolish hedge fund, Archegos. And then when the fund collapsed, so did the stock. Should it be at 40? Should it be at 60? Should it be at 20? I don't know. Fascinating to find out, right? But I can't tell you. As for Regeneron, they've developed a fast-acting treatment to stop COVID once you've caught it. This is the drug that allowed then-President then Trump to get out of the hospital so quickly. But the health complex in Washington has not been kind to Regeneron. Foolishly not kind. Or for that matter, the American people. This drug needs to be accessible to everyone. Your doctor should be able to call it up. He probably can. Regeneron or she. Regeneron's a great company, but it can't work for free. Next up, one of my favorite reports on Thursday morning, that's Penn Nat, Penn National Gaming. And like cannabis, gam- gambling has been on a real run here. Momentum. Has the partnership with Barstool brought in the gamblers that I think they have? I, well, let's see. I bet the numbers are good. 
You want to walk a tightrope? Thursday night, we hear from Roku, Peloton, and AMC Entertainment. Roku and Peloton were fabulous lockdown stocks, weren't they? While AMC's become a terrific, great reopening play. I think Roku and Peloton can keep winning, right? But that doesn't mean they're stocks. I mean, listen, we've got adjusted, we've adjusted our habits, and we'll keep doing some of this stuff when the pandemic's over. But these two, Roku and Peloton, are two of the most expensive stocks in the entire market. So their winning might not translate into higher stock prices. As for AMC, it's got so much stock for sale that I can't—I don't think it can rally, even as the reopening will save the business. Of course, AMC is a meme stock, like Microvision, like some other thing, some Brooklyn thing that's rallying right now. So who knows what the wacky, self-described degenerates on Reddit will do with this one. I call them degenerates because <laughs> they call themselves degenerates. That's a strange thing to call yourself, frankly. Now, on Friday, we get the Labor Department's employment report, and I am predicting a robust number. I bet it'll be so strong that we're going to hear a course of Fed must raise rates. Fed must raise rates chanting. It's really boring. I say don't panic. The Fed just decided to no rate hike two days ago. I mean, I don't think they're going to change their view on Friday. Bottom line, as we head into next week, into a busy week, but not like the gauntlet, Remember that this earnings season is very high standards. So keep your eyes peeled for more stocks that could get crushed in the wake of great quarters and then do some buying. I want to go to Trey in Texas right now. Trey. Howdy, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. My pleasure. What's up? All right. Given the most recent partnership, what's your thoughts on Snowflake long term? All right. Frank Slootman's there. So as long as Frank Slootman's there, I am happy with it. Is it the right stock right now? I don't care. Slootman's the right CEO always. And I am going to say buy Snowflake. Oh, man. I have I have the ability to eat a can of spam and answer five more questions. All right. This earnings season is very high standards. Look out for the stocks that sell off after great quarters. On Mad Tonight, with the summer fast approaching, you got to ask yourself, is it time to come sail away with Brunswick Corp? I'm going to be taken to the high seas with the CEO after Boston Whaler-like earnings. Then Clark's took a little tumble after earnings, but is it giving you a chance to clean up with the stock after going down for nine months? I'm going to talk to the CEO. And as the economy begins to reopen and more people head back to the office, can Logitech, the maker of the best keyboards, mice, wildcats, headsets, continue to head higher? Don't miss my exclusive. And stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. This earnings season's got no respect for manufacturers. They keep reporting spectacular numbers, but their stocks just can't seem to get any traction. And it's creating some incredible buying opportunities. Take credit for Brunswick, B.C., the big boat and engine maker. Yesterday morning, they reported the latest in a string of amazing blowouts, a huge top and bottom line beat, with nearly 50% revenue growth and more than 100% earnings growth year over year. Why? Because we've got a tremendous boat shortage in this country. They're selling everything they can make, even adding production. It's still not enough to meet the demand. This is an incredible story. Even better, Brunswick raised its full-year forecast and also raised its forecast for 2022 from more than $7 to the $825 to $875 range. In response, the stock briefly jumped to an 
a new all-time high yesterday at 109, then immediately gave up most of those gains. As of today, Brunswick's up less than two bucks on a truly magnificent set of shocking numbers. I think it's a big steal. Earlier today, I got to sit down with David Folks. He's the CEO of Brunswick Corporation. Take a look. Mr. Folks, welcome back to Mad Money. Great to be on the show again, Jim. Thanks for having me. All right, so David, I'm seeing some numbers now that are really coming on. I'm seeing numbers from a, a terrific boat show that you gave in Florida. I'm seeing numbers from all over the country with tremendous gross margins. Is it really happening? Are we seeing the beginning of a new cycle for Brunswick? I think we are, Jim. Obviously, we had a tremendously strong back half of 2020, and that momentum has carried into 2021 and even built on that. Our revenues quarter over quarter, or Q1 2020 over 2019, were up 48%. Margins expanded 500 basis points. The strength was across all of our businesses. Our propulsion business, Mercury, on the strength of a lot of market share gain, was up 47%. Our parts and accessories businesses on the strength of tremendous boating participation and an early season were up 52%. Our boat business was up 44%. They did a wonderful job despite some supply chain challenges that you're aware of. And then Freedom, of course, continues to grow like crazy. We're at 280 locations now and 40,000 memberships. So real strength across the board. Now, I like something that tells me, again, why I think it's a new cycle. Younger boat buyers, women boat buyers, better than everyone else in the industry. You are bringing down the demo. This is fantastic for you guys. We're very excited about what's happening, both in the broad marine industry, but particularly for Brunswick. We, uh, our boat buyers are typically two years younger than the average for the industry. New boaters coming in are five years younger and three years younger than the industry, and many more uh, women and uh, minorities. Freedom Boat Club has 35% now of its members are women, which is tremendously different participation in boating than we had even a few years ago. So I think it's a very, very favorable trend for us and for the overall industry. Well, I mean, I was down in Florida. We did Freedom Boat Club. And, my, and what happens, of course, my wife takes the wheel. I mean, it's just a, a great opportunity for those who, frankly, uh, at any given time want to do some boating. It, it, it's a great, it was a brilliant idea. And then, of course, how many people, once they've tried it, go buy boats? Well, certainly quite a number do. And certainly when uh, Freedom is populated with our brands, uh, they tend to gravitate towards our brands. We, I heard a particular story about a, a couple who enjoyed the C-Ray that they were using in Freedom Boat Club so much that they went out and bought a C-Ray. So it's not just um, people exiting and entering boating. It's entering boating with our brands, which is a you know, great development for us. All right. So tell me about this Palm Beach show. Let's compare it versus not 2020, because that's a pandemic year, versus 2019, which we know is a very strong year for the economy. How are the results? It, well, the, the results are fantastic. So Palm Beach was really the first uh, in-person saltwater show of the year. So a bit of a bellwether for the year. And the results were great. Well, first of all, attendance was really good. But our brands did extremely well. It's a big show for Siray and Boston Whaler in particular. Uh, we doubled the number of units that we sold and more than tripled our revenues as people gravitated to some of the new products that we brought out. We really refreshed a lot of the Boston Whaler line, as you know. And then we recently, of course, introduced a beautiful new Sea uh, Ray 370. And they were both very, very popular uh, at the show. So we were delighted 
that the first in-person saltwater show of the year was such a blowout. All right, now, Dave, I'm sure there are people out there who say, hold on, I've seen the Brunswick cycles. What happens is everybody gets excited. Mm -hmm. In this case, particularly the great reopening, people don't want to be on boats anymore, and they've got a Mm -hmm. huge amount of inventory, and everything collapses. 41% fewer boats in dealer inventory? That's precisely the opposite of what's happened in the Brunswick cycles I've followed. It is. Certainly in the past, we might have had you know, plenty of uh, inventory in the field, but we're in a very different situation uh, right now. As you mentioned, Jim, uh, field inventory is down around 40 percent, slightly more than 40 percent and actually slightly declining at the moment. So we believe it will be 2023 or 24 before we can materially build back those inventories. And we expect to essentially be in full wholesale production through that entire period, not only to satisfy these historic levels of retail demand, but also to backfill that pipeline um, through the whole period. We got some incredible savings numbers today. We're talking about 20 percent rate and saving increase. People keep saying that one day that spigot's going to open. If the spigot opens for boats, there won't be any. Well, we're doing everything we can, Jim. As you know, at the beginning of the year, we announced that we were reopening a huge boat plant in Palm Coast in Florida and making investments in our boat facilities in Reynosa, Mexico, and also in uh, Portugal, because the European boat market is also very hot at the moment. This is really a global trend. Uh, the U.S., Europe, and uh, Australia, New Zealand are the three big recreational boating areas, and all are seeing huge levels of demand. So believe me, we want to get boats in as many hands as possible, and we're doing everything we can. We hired a 1,000 people in the first quarter. We have 800 openings right now, and that's before we've really built out the infrastructure that I just described. So when we look at what patterns have changed in life from the pandemic to after, mm-hmm. we're always trying to find, for instance, we actually don't like Netflix anymore or the gaming socks anymore because we say that those were things that you did in your house. Should we presume that what happened here is that people tasted boating, realized it's not the old way where it's supposed to be so expensive when they make the jokes about it, but the boats are strong and valuable and don't lose value when you take them off the lot, so to speak. Is this a group of people who tasted it and now want one? Yeah, we, we spend a lot of time and effort, Jim, surveying our boating uh, population, if you like. We set up online communities exactly to do that. And of the people who bought a boat last year, 92% rated their first season a four or more stars out of five. So basically, they had a great time. And we're seeing some of these pandemic-related trends really, I think, having legs well beyond uh, the pandemic, particularly flexible working, which allows people to get outdoors for periods of time during the week instead of just the the weekends. And then people resettling in the suburbs and maybe more rural areas where there are more access to boats. So we think a lot of underlying secular trends on top of the fact that we, as you know, have a wonderful portfolio with so many access points for boating. I mean, we, we make boats itself for $10,000, uh, and that is a big advantage. As I was talking earlier about how we're mm-hmm. over-indexing on new boaters, the fact that we have this great portfolio of boats that are very affordable, I think, is a huge advantage for us. No, it's really just been an amazing time for you. And I know, I, you know I'm a believer. Others keep telling me it's cyclical and they're going to get hurt. Those people are wrong. David Folk, CEO of Brunswick Corporation, it's always great to have you on the show. My pleasure, Jim. Great to see you again. Thank you, David. Man Money will be back after the break. Coming up, Clorox took a slide after earnings. But can pandemic-induced demand make this a buying opportunity? 
Kramer's got the CEO next. In an earnings season full of companies that have reported great quarters and seen their stocks fall, you don't have to imagine what happens to companies with suboptimal quarters. Consider the case of Clorox, one of the biggest and most obvious winners from the pandemic. For the last nine months, the stock's been selling off in anticipation of tough comparisons in a post-COVID world. Sure enough, when Clorox reported this morning, they delivered a mixed quarter. Top line missed, bottom line beat, but then management adjusted down their full year earnings forecast. Still, the stock only dropped less than 2% today, to the point where it's roughly five bucks away from its 52 week low. So, has Clorox finally been de risked here, or do we need to be wary now that the company's dealing with both tough comparisons and, maybe even more important, rising costs? Let's check in with Linda Rendell. She's the president and CEO of Clorox to get a better read on the quarter and where her company is headed. Ms. Rendell, welcome back to Mad Money. Great to be here, Jim. Thanks for having me back. Okay, so Linda, I'm so glad you're here because Clarks has long been one of my favorite companies ever since we started the show 16 years ago. And I feel that some people think it's an existential issue. They used a lot of Clorox last year. Maybe they don't have to this year. I found that what was disconcerting is something that's well beyond your control, which is just these runaway inflationary costs that are affecting so many consumer packaged companies, including yours. What do you do when your raw costs go up and you don't want to hurt your consumers? Yeah, you know, I think, Jim, the the good news is we're starting from a very strong base. You know, we delivered flat sales on top of double-digit growth uh, in the same period a year ago. And we are seeing the trends consistent with the increased expectations we have on our business from a sales growth perspective continue to persist. So we're starting from a really strong place with strong brands. But we do need to address the cost environment that we're experiencing. And we're seeing costs across uh, many inputs rise, and we'll need to do that with a holistic solution. Of course, we'll activate our long-standing cost savings program and ensure that we're doing, delivering that across our businesses. We're looking at price increases, although we're being very measured and taking that in a category-by-category approach. And of course, we'll focus on innovation and margin accretive innovation. Okay, I, when I was reading through the quarter, I felt, okay, well, listen, if, let's say Jay Power, an analyst. When he asked you, hi, this is the Federal Reserve Chairman, how many of these actual increases are temporary, how many are going to roll back, and how many are fact of life that we're going to have to live with? You know, I think um, it's yet to be seen exactly how it's going to all shake out, Jim. But we are seeing an inflationary environment that we expect to persist well beyond a quarter. Mm. Uh, We're certainly seeing that in resin pricing and other input costs, as well as a tightening transportation market. And we expect those to be here over the midterm. Um, but what we do see is some temporary costs that we've had as a result of COVID, and we can remove those costs over the coming months as we get back to a place where uh, we return to work in a more normal way, where people are vaccinated, and that will help us get rid of some of those temporary costs that we've experienced over the last 12 months. Right, let's go over uh, learned behavior once vaccinated. Uh, I'm vaccinated. I hope you're vaccinated. We always went. There's 100 million people who are vaccinated. Uh, how much Clorox, how many Clorox products do they have? And I'm holding up one of mine. I don't go anywhere now with the dis- disinfecting wipes. I flew to Mexico. I had them. I flew to Florida. I have them. How many people are doing what I'm doing, even after we're vaccinated? A lot. And I am vaccinated as well. I'm so pleased to be. I just got my second shot uh, and hope many more around the country will choose to do that. Um, what we're seeing is lasting behaviors in cleaning and disinfecting. You know, people want to have control over their environment and they want to remove the germs that cause illness. Uh, and our products do that so well. So we're seeing m- much of the same behavior that you're exhibiting, Jim, uh, with other people. They want wipes um, and they want them on the go so that they can keep themselves safe if they're at home. Uh, you know, or if they're in a plane, they're traveling, getting back to normal life, uh, returning to work. So we expect that to persist 
Um, and we've certainly seen that as people have begun to get vaccinated here in our third quarter. Now, I know that uh, health and wellness a little bit challenged. Uh, bags not. I thought that was terrific. Grilling, obviously not. Uh, but I did want to ask you, and I know you it's, it's not to be unexpected because it's been the focus of mine for some time. I've always felt that your predecessor, my great fondness for, went into a market that I am a huge user of probiotics. I use a lot of the I'm holding up right now the mood and stress for new life. I am a, a big user of your products, but I also know that it's a cutthroat business. And this morning, Nestle's came in, made a big acquisition of a company that a lot of us use. And I know you took a write down. For about you did about a billion dollars worth of buying in this category. What is the future of this category? Because it's only four percent of your company. I think at a certain point, Rainbow Light, this one, maybe it's not worth holding on to. You know, performance were below expectations from our assumptions at the acquisition, and that's the reason for the write down. But the business remains a strategic fit for us. You know, we're a health and wellness company at heart. Vitamins, minerals, and supplements play such a key role for people to take care of themselves, and we're seeing that accelerate in the pandemic. So we feel great about the space that we chose. It's just going to take us a little longer to get there. We bought some small brands um, in fragmented categories, uh, and we just need longer to get them to the place that we, we know they can deliver. But we have confidence that we have uh, the right places to play from a Tailwinds perspective, and we're confident that we can get these to a place where their growth and profit accretive for the company over time. But is that a good use of your time versus some other categories that you have that are so extraordinary that you can do so much more with? You know, Jim, we have always long played in a lot of categories, and that's what we do really well. We, we apply capabilities to a lot of businesses that meet similar criteria, where they're big share brands and mid-sized categories. And VMS plays really well into that, um, into that portfolio, and it's appropriately staffed. But it's also important to note, it's all of our other opportunities are also appropriately staffed. And we feel great that we have the right people and the right resources and talent against uh, all of the areas of growth for our company. You didn't break out as much as I would have liked. One of my favorite brands was this Burt Bees. How is Burt's Bees doing right now? Expensive product, but one that I think that millennials really love. Yeah, Burt's Bees, I'd say from a brand perspective, continues to do extremely well. Um, you know, the brand has incredible power. Uh, with the demographic who's looking for a natural alternative um, in, in their beauty and health routines. So we continue to say great love for the Burt's brand. It has been challenged given COVID shopping behaviors and people are using less makeup, um, which has impacted parts of our portfolio. The good news is for our lip balm business, we've taken the number one share position uh, in the category and we expanded that lead during the pandemic. So the fundamentals are good. And as we see people return to shopping and store, I'm um, in returning to more normal skincare and makeup routines. We expect Burt's Bees to bounce back strongly. OK, but that's where I'm going, because I think once we've taken off our masks, we're going to refocus on the areas that we forgot about. A lot of the younger people really want natural. If they can't get natural, they're not interested. Burt's Bees natural. I suspect that they could have a nice spurt once we stop wearing masks. I think that's exactly right. Mask behavior has changed a lot for all of us. But I think people are looking forward to getting back where they can do some of the things without a mask, including skincare, uh, you know, wearing some lipstick uh, for women out there who enjoy that. And we'd expect Burt's continue to have that strong performance that we experienced prior to the pandemic as soon as we get out of them. So well, to me, it seems that, again, people go oh, get sorry. vaccinated. <laughs> but I'm, I, to me, it seems you put through those price increases that your brands are strong enough to be able to sustain that. And the stock is going to take care of itself, having already gone down, anticipating nothing positive, And you're going to deliver positives. That's why I think the stock's right here. Yeah, I think, Jim, that's exactly right. The long-term health of this business, we continue to have incredible conviction in. 
I mean, we raised our sales uh, growth targets back in February to deliver three to five percent growth uh, over the long term, and we continue to feel terrific about that. We have category tailwinds, we have very strong brands, and lots of opportunities continue to do that. So, you know, we're focused on the long term. We're going to manage through this tough cost environment. Uh, but we're confident in our ability to accelerate long-term profitable well, growth. That is excellent. That's what we needed to hear for those of us who obviously were, were concerned that, pro, that past pandemic behavior will not be future pandemic behavior. Thank you so much to Linda Rendell, CEO of the Clorox Company. Thank you for coming on Man Money. Thanks so much, Jim. Look, guys, the stock goes down in anticipation. So when finally the news happens and it doesn't go down much, that's more of a buy than a sell. Man Money's back after the break. Up 250% from its pandemic lows. Could stay-at-home winner Logitech keep up its strength in a world returning to normal? The CEO weighs in on what to expect from the great reopening and how it could impact the stock. Next. At the end of a week where scores of stocks sold off in the wake of great earnings, it's nice to see some of those names bouncing back today. Look at Logitech International. They have all sorts of computer accessories, consumer electronics, and gaming equipment with a stock that's up more than 250% from the lows 13 months ago. Logitech's been a huge winner from the stay-at-home economy, but the stock peaked in February because Wall Street simply doesn't believe its COVID-era strength can continue. Plus, it didn't help when Logitech guided for flat sales at its analyst day in early March. Yesterday morning, though, Logitech reported a very strong quarter, smashing the sales and earnings estimates while also raising its full-year operating income. Raising it, okay? But in this ultra-picky earnings season, nobody cared. Stock sold off nearly 3% yesterday. Fortunately, the stock got some lift today as buyers reconsidered. To me, that makes sense. The stay-at-home economy may be going away, but in terms of working from home, I think the future is a hybrid economy where lots of people continue to use their home offices. So let's take a closer look with Bracken Darrell. He's the president and CEO of one of the most phenomenal companies we've ever talked about on Mad Money, Logitech International. To learn more about the quarter and his company's prospects, Mr. Darrell, welcome back to Mad Money. It's so great to be back, Jim. Thank you so much. Okay, Bracken, I I think that one of the things that you've been able to do is you've got a broad sense of the whole world and what people are doing. And it's very clear to me that you recognize that people are going to be working from home and whatever they have at home simply isn't good enough. Correct? That's correct. That's exactly right, Jim. You know, a lot of people who started working from home scrambled. They either brought something home from the office that already probably wasn't exactly what they needed. Or they, or they ran, they scrambled out and bought something, whatever they could get, because not a lot was available. So we we're really optimistic about the the long term. We think there's a lot of upgrading coming, and and more workspaces to enable. Yeah, I mean, my take is is that when I look at what you guys uh, have come up with, I mean, not that you guys didn't have the best stuff to begin with, but I recognize that I've got what I would call a completely third rate system that I use. And I can barely keep up with the good stuff that you come out with. But it was mine was good enough. OK, but now I start feeling like it's obvious that it's amateur hour. So what do you do? What do you how do you tell clients about how to find what they really need and what's wrong and what's right and what they need to step up to? Well, this is such a great question. You know, I was talking to my CFO, Nate Olmstead, yesterday. And he's a, this is a guy who came from HP. He knows the tech industry. He came in, he was using a wired keyboard and a wired mouse when he got here. Now he uses this, which is MX Master. And he's like, do you realize how few people know how good these products are? And I think the answer is we haven't, we really haven't had the, didn't have a scale to spend enough money to educate people with marketing. And 
Well, this this year kind of changed that for us. We really we're so much larger now. We can afford to spend money in marketing. We're doing it. If you want to, the single easiest way to find out what you need is go on our website. There's a configurator. You can go into the configurator. You answer like three or four simple questions, and poof, you you know exactly what you need. And for the first time, probably in your life, you'll have a great setup. All right, I love this. I love this because this is exactly what all of us are going through. And you know that. Now, here's another thing that you have said. A lot of the analysts have been saying, listen, it's a cliff. Forget it. It's all over. It was pandemic. You've got a chart, a slide that says COVID increased the long-term value of those secular trends. So you're saying it's not cyclical. It's secular. And the value is going up. Explain that to people so they recognize that CNP, video collaboration, gaming, and streaming are all worth more now. Well, these trends were already happening. You know, we've been on these trends for about six or seven years. You know, the video going everywhere, you know, you know, gaming becoming the biggest collection of sports in the world, working from anywhere, and then people streaming their own content instead of just watching Amazon and Netflix, which are continue to grow. So those four trends we were already continuing. They all kind of hit the accelerator button during COVID. What they've done is, I'll give you an example. Like, let's take streaming or video, either one of them. It's the scaling effect. You know, now more, pe- now more and more people are streaming or going on Clubhouse or podcasting. And guess what happens? All the people who see them say, hey, maybe I can do that too. And then there are more people who want to stream and go and podcast. The same thing with video. You know, the more you do video, the more the people are on the other side. Now when people pop in on audio, on audio, on a video call, they feel kind of awkward. So this is just raise the overall water level, and we're going to grow from there. You're so right. I mean, I was on a conference call this week, and there was one joker in audio. He wasn't a joker. But I decided he is a joker. And it was a very important conference call. All right, so let's talk about real importance. When I talk, show your stuff and I love it, I got kids who say, Dad, plastic bad, how much, what, blah, blah, blah. I have now gotten answers because of what you do, which is that you actually, you, carbon, you care about carbon labeling. Here's another thing I need you to explain to people, because I think this is the secret to the next generation of 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 what we're trying to do, which is lower our carbon footprint. Absolutely. You know, we're we're this is a this is really central to our purpose as a company. We want to go from being a carbon creator to to a less bad carbon creator to not a carbon creator and not a net carbon creator. So what are we doing? The first thing we're doing is we're reducing carbon by redesigning our products. So we have. We took 64,000 tons of carbon out of our products this year by redesigning them. We'll do more than that next year. The second thing we're doing is we're, we're investing in planting trees directly. So we're, you know, tree planting is the most efficient mm-hmm. uh, technology in the world for taking carbon out of the air. And the third thing we really believe in is we want everybody to label carbon on their products. We announced a year ago that we we're going to do it. We're, the first, I think we're, we're one of the first companies in the world to announce we're going to do it on everything end-to-end, all the carbon from the component manufacturing all the way through to the transportation, the usage, to the end of life. We're taking it all. We've got a very good, strong, accurate calculation now that we'll share with any company anywhere for free. And we're putting that on the package. Our first seven products are out. Uh, they're in the gaming business, by the way. And we're headed to get them all. We want ca- we want carbon, like calories, on everything. Right. So that people start to look at the comparison. And then if there's competition to bring the carbon down. Fantastic. All right, let's deal with the toughest issue that we've been dealing with, which is not a philosophical one, but the semiconductor shortage. You have said, and you were quoted as saying, you're navigating a dynamic supply environment may lead to higher components and logistics costs. I don't care if you can pay more. I just want to be sure you can get them. Are you able to get what you need? 
Yeah, so far we've been able to, you know, kind of work through the, the shortages and get what we needed. You know, every every quarter will be different. But, uh, you know, so far so good. And, and we're going to stay after this just the way we have in the past. And, uh, you know, I'm optimistic we'll be able to work our way through it. Well, then I think I got it. It's kind of like a light bulb just went off my head. How about this, Bracken? You always knew how yeah. to do this stuff. The automobile companies, they've never known how to do it. None of these companies has ever been caught like this, but you've probably been doing it all your life. You know, we've had, we've certainly, since I've been here, we've certainly often had some component that ran, that ran out of supply. But we have the, the kind of the, uh, an interesting manufacturing and supply approach where we've got lots of different suppliers for different uh, ranges in our products. So we've been able to move to one if we couldn't get, a, uh, get, one, get the other one. And I think that's been that's been important for us. And in the auto industry, they're so cost focused. They probably yes. consolidate yes. all their buy against one manufacturer, and then if they're out, they're in trouble. So they have a second one. If that one's out, they're really in trouble. So uh, it's happened. not easy. That's I'll admit. That's what happened. All right. Well, look, I got to wrap things up. I can talk to you all day, and you know that because you got a million things that make so much sense. Bracken Darrell, President CEO of Logitech. I love talking to you, buddy. Thank you. I really enjoy coming on the show. All too. right. Man, I learn something every time I talk with him. Mad Money's back after the break. Coming up next. Let's make money together. What do we got? Kramer's bringing the thunder and answering your burning questions in today's edition of The Lightning Round. It is time! It is time for The Lightning Round! What is that about? And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski daddy, come on the lightning round. Let's start with Jim in Nevada. Jim. Booah, my friend. Booah, back at you. Hey, got a question here on uh, lemonade. I think I, drunk, I think I drank the lemonade Kool-Aid with all the hype on that stock a while back. Well, you and, know, the um, problem, sir, is, is that it's a great product, and it's very hard to figure out the value of the stock. And there's a lot of people who are shorted, so it goes up and down and up and down, but it's not a meme stock. I say I still like it, but you're going to have to wait a long time for the value of the stock to catch up with the value proposition of the company. Let's go to Christina in Utah. Christina. Jim Buha from St. George. Saint My George. husband and I keep separate portfolios, so this stock is his stock. He keeps asking me what he should do with Acadia Pharmaceuticals. Well, today, so- I, you know, this week I finally saw my first buy of it. I mean, a lot of people, a lot of the analysts have been staying away. They want it to go down. Finally saw my first buy. There's a lot of different little lawsuits. They don't mean anything to me. I Tell your husband I think he's finally fine. It's not been a good stock, and I've not been liking it, but I think we're at an okay level. Can we go to Noah in Massachusetts, please? Noah! Hey, hey, Jimmy, chill. How are you? Chill man is doing well. From Beantown. Which one? A big booyah from Beantown. Oh, Boston. my God. I wish I were there. I go there every spring and not because of the darn pandemic, not this year. Drive me crazy. What's yeah. up? Oh, it's beautiful out here. Just above freezing. Hey, got a question for you on Pinterest. Uh, this one took a dive after earnings, uh, but... The good price of support. Do you think this is a good uh, time to add it? I tell you the truth. I didn't like the – I love Ben Silberman, and I need to have, see the whites of Ben's eyes. The conference call was not a good conference call. The conference call made me feel like anybody who still owns it has overstayed their welcome. I think that Ben needs that – or Todd. Todd really was the guy that Morgan fell the C, CFO. I thought he lowered the boom on the shareholders. I don't think he meant to. we got to get him on the show as soon as next week if possible. Okay, now – we're going to go to Austin in Ohio. Austin. 
Booyah, Jim. Booyah. <laughs> uh, Jim, I get Metro Mile saves a lot of people money, but is it good at making money by saving people money? I don't know. I mean, we had Hartford on this weekend. I think they're kind of wise to Metro Mile's game, frankly. That made me wonder that people are not going to, you know, they're not going to let them PayPal and eBay them. So I would be, you know, I, I made me less certain about Metro Mile. I'm actually PayPal and square them. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round! The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, Kramer's got a take on taxes that will set your mind at ease. Find out what every investor should know about Uncle Sam next. Right now, there's a lot of confusion about the relationship between tax policy and the stock market. I keep hearing people wonder how the heck stocks could rob during President Biden's first 100 days, given that he's trying to raise capital gains taxes on the very rich in a huge way. They're assuming that this tax hike will send stocks lower. But that's wrong. In fact, it's wrong in a number of ways. The first misunderstanding, who owns stocks? We know that roughly 55% of stocks are indexed, and index fund owners, well, they're, they're not renters. They're owners. We have tens of millions of people who own index funds in their 401ks or IRA. They contribute money regularly, and they don't take anything out until they retire. Even then, we haven't seen much pressure from uh, sellers uh, who are baby boom retirers. That, I don't know. I mean, they just don't seem to be sellers. Even the ones who've turned 72, when you have to start withdrawing money from these tax-favored accounts. If you didn't know any better, I, I got to tell you, you think they're withdrawing money from those accounts and then putting it right back in the market in a regular account. Second misunderstanding. If you think that the rich will sell stocks out of fear of higher taxes, let me ask you something. Where the heck else are they supposed to put their money? Normally, you might expect them to go for municipal bonds, but they aren't giving you much of a return right now. The better uh, bet for the past decade, well, it's companies that pay big dividends, uh, which will continue, of course, to be taxed at a very low rate under Biden's plan. He's only hurting the capital gains. It's much lower. The dividend tax is much lower than the new capital gains rate. If you want dividend income, I'd rather own something like a Chevron, which just reported this morning, other than just about any other asset. Uh, same goes for Caterpillar. That's a dividend aristocrat. We had them on last night. There are plenty of stocks with potential upside that also have great yields. Third misunderstanding, grousing is not the same as selling. Nobody likes paying higher taxes. Of course, they're going to complain. But given that they don't want to pay taxes, the best way to avoid doing that is to not sell, not sell. Yep, the possibility of higher rates actually discourages people from reading the register, especially since we don't know whether Biden wants to make these new rates retroactive or not. Well, rich people take money out of the market to buy, I don't know, more boats, uh, country houses, fancy cars, maybe. But by definition, rich people make a lot of money and they'll have plenty of cash left over, even if the White House can somehow push through this tax plan. They just won't have as much left. They'll still be rich, though. Final misunderstanding. Wealthy people won't stop investing just because their taxes go up. The whole point of being wealthy is that you can use your money to make more money. Speaking of someone who's advised some of the richest people in the world, their first instinct is to find high-quality stocks and then make big bets. When I was at Goldman Sachs, I always tried to talk my clients out of stock picking. There was no need for them to take the risk. You only need to get rich once. I suggested they own municipal bonds instead, but they typically couldn't resist owning stocks. Lots of them follow the premier investor of our day, Warren Buffett, who's throwing his annual meeting this weekend. Buffett believes in progress, and the only way to cash in on progress is to buy, not sell stocks. 
So here's my suggestion. Stop trying to relate Biden's tax plan to the stock market's behavior already. There's nothing in his proposal that should hurt stocks. If anything, a capital gains tax hike could help as natural sellers who've used the stock market as a tax advantage piggy bank will go away. It's a positive for the broader market, even as it's a big negative for anyone who actually gets hit with those rates. But if you hate the tax man, then you're an owner, not a seller. And every rich person I've ever met hates the tax man. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you Monday. 